Amen. Thank you, Pastor Silver. Folks, take your Bibles tonight, please, and open to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3. I'll wait for you till you get there. Remember, if you're joining us and you haven't yet written in and said hello, please do that. Just take a second and write in and say who you are and say, hi, we're watching. You know, like the uh, Ishkabob family or something. Hi, we're all here. We're watching, preacher. So please write in. Would you do that? That would encourage us. Now, with your Bible open at 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse number 11. And I'd like you to follow along with me. If you'd like, you can read along with me. That's fine too. You know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if I read it and you read it, that means that someone's faith is going to grow, yours and mine. And so follow along with me as I read. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Now tonight, for the next little bit, I want to speak with you on this subject, our hearts and our prayers. First, close your eyes and pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to understand the passage before us. O Spirit of God, you who are residing in every born-again man, woman, and young person, Holy Spirit, take your word and apply it to our hearts tonight. Please move us on to, to a higher plateau, a higher plane of faith and love and service and worship of God. Teach us to pray. Teach us to love. Teach us to give. Teach us to be what you want us to be. 
Please bless each and every one who's tuned in tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray it. Amen. Well, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, take a look here at verse 20. It says, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, the condition of our heart and getting our prayers answered are actually combined. They go hand in hand. The condition of our heart and getting our prayers answered. We're all interested in getting our prayers answered. If I asked you, would you like to get your prayers answered? You'd say, yes, sir. I'd like to get my prayers answered. We all would. How do we get our prayers answered? It's combined with our heart. The condition of our heart. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, what does that mean? That means God is convicting us of sin. If our hearts are condemning us, it means we've done something wrong. Now this refers to what we call the conscience. Someone might say, what is a conscience? A conscience is sort of a built in mechanism. If you will, it's built in, I think to the heart and its job is to accuse us or to condemn us when we've done something morally wrong. And that's that's what its job is. When we commit a sin, our conscience makes us feel bad. That's what it's supposed to do. If your heart doesn't condemn you, if you have no conscience, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, my friend. Oh, you're in trouble. Everyone has a conscience. God has given a conscience to everyone. Now keep a, a bookmark there in first John chapter three, turn back to the book of Romans chapter two, Romans chapter two, and we'll see this for ourselves in chapter two, verse 14, Paul writes for when the Gentiles, these are the, the un, the non Jews, which have not the law, so they do not have the Torah law of Moses. When, when they do by nature, the things contained in the law. Say, so what does that mean? It means things like thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And when the Gentiles who don't have the Torah law, when they do these things, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Okay. Their conscience also bearing witness. Yeah. Their conscience also bearing witness. We know it's not right to tell lies. The whole world knows that you go into a court of law. And they make you put your hand on the Bible or you affirm that what you're about to say is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth because they don't want you telling lies. Human nature is so prone to doing that. When we tell a lie, our conscience says that was wrong. That was wrong. And here we learn that all the world really has a conscience. Now you might ask me, why is it then that some people can, can sin and not feel bad about it? Why is it that there are some people that 
They could tell you all kinds of lies and their heart doesn't condemn them. And that's a good question. And to get the answer for that, we're going to go to first Timothy. So turn to the right to first Timothy chapter number four, first Timothy chapter number four. We have an idea from the first two verses here as to why it is that some people can sin and not feel bad about it. First Timothy four, verse one and two. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Now I would suggest to you that that's the, the body of truth. That's the scriptures that they perhaps once held to, or maybe they were brought up in and they're going to depart giving heed to seducing spirits. We're seeing that today. We're seeing that exact thing happening today. We really are. We really, really are. There are people calling themselves Christians, calling themselves believers, calling themselves churches, calling themselves assemblies. And they have departed from the truth. They're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And look at verse two speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I don't know. Have you ever been uh, burned? I mean, on a part of your, your skin or your body, I mean, burned and it kind of deadens the nerves. Has that ever happened? Do you have a a part of your body where it's kind of dead? Maybe there's calluses there. You could poke yourself with a pin. You wouldn't feel it. It's common. It happens. Imagine that happening to the human heart. Imagine that happening to the conscience. And this, I think, gives us the answer. Wicked people, they seem to roast their God-given conscience by pressing hard into sin day after day after day. Oh, at first, their, their conscience, their heart tells them this is not right. But they want the sin and they press further and more and more and more and they keep doing it and their conscience weakens and weakens and it gets quieter and quieter and it dies and one day it's dead. They can commit any sin they want and their conscience doesn't say a word. It's dead. It's like they don't have a conscience. The successful criminal has no conscience. He'll lie to you right face to face. He'll rob you blind. His conscience doesn't bother him. His heart doesn't condemn him. He's successfully killed his conscience. Wow. That's pretty scary. Don't you think now? Listen, if you're saved, if you're born again, your conscience is a very important part of you. Your conscience ought to be alive and alert and strong at all times so that it can help you so that it can tell you when you've done something wrong. It's bound up there in your heart. You see in verse 20, we're back here in first John chapter three, verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, you see, if you do something wrong, you need to know. And I hope you want to know. And when your heart condemns you, why well, that's a good sign. It means that it's alive 
and it's telling you, it's pleading with you. It's accusing you. It's condemning you of what it is you've done wrong. And you need to make that right. Now the context in first John, I started reading in verse 11. The context here is all about loving God's children. Sometimes I talk to Christians and you know, they're, they're pretty confused whether they're saved or not. They, they're not sure. They don't know if they're saved or not. This is a common malady. And what I always do is I recommend them go to first John, the book of first John and have a, a paper and a pen and start reading carefully every verse, every word of first John, all five chapters. And whenever they find out something that seems to indicate, here's how you can know you're saved. Write it down, make a note of it. There's at least eight evidences of born again, Christian life found in the book of first John. And here we're going to find one of them here. Now the context is loving God's children. And this is one of the evidences of being saved. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. That's salvation folks. How do we know? Because we love the brethren saved people, men, women, young and old who have Jesus in their heart. They're the brethren and we love them. Now it goes on. He that loveth not his brother abideth in what's that word? Death. They're not saved for someone to say, Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh yes. I'm born again. Yes. There was a day when I prayed and I got born again. Get away from me. You miserable Christian. I don't care if you are a brother in Christ. I can't stand you. I'm happy to be saved Boy, that person's a liar or deceived. Isn't he? Someone who hates Christians is not saved. One of the evidences that we're saved is that we love Christians. But someone says, uh, pastor, can I ask a question? Go ahead. Ask your question. Well, I was at church once and this brother, he didn't shake my hand. He, uh, he, he looked at me and turned away and walked away. And, and that hurt me. And I felt bad about that. I don't like that man. Do I still have to love him? <laughs> the answer is yes. Does God love him? Oh, Yes then you need to love them too. And if you're a Christian, you can, you can. Everyone who's born again is able to love other people that are born again. You know, that man, that Christian man that you don't like, you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. Better to start learning to love him. Well, how do I love him? Well, that's why you have the Lord. And the Holy spirit in your heart and you cry out and say, Lord, help me to love that man or help me to love that Christian woman. They're not very lovable. Show me how I can love them. Teach me, help me. And God will help you because you're asking something that pleases him. But here in verse 14, we learn that loving God's people is an evidence an evidence of being saved. I think I told you the story some years ago. I'll tell you again, though, about an elderly Christian lady who was struggling with whether she was saved or not. And it was getting pretty bad. And in fact, her health was deteriorating. And in fact, the doctors told her she didn't have too much time left. 
She called her pastor into her little apartment to pray with her. And she shared her burden. Pastor, I just don't know if for sure I'm saved. And the pastor said, oh, mama, he said, I think you, I, I think you are. Listen, let me ask you a question. Um, down the hall, if there was a party going on and people were whooping it up and they were dancing and jigging and drinking alcohol and, and just having a, a real worldly party. And then down the hall, the other way, there was some wonderful Christian singing going on and they were going to have a Bible study and they were rejoicing together. Which one, which apartment would you rather go to and be in? She said, Oh, pastor, that's easy. I'd rather go to be with the Bible study and the singing. And the pastor said, that's absolutely right. You love the brethren. He pointed out first John three fourteen. It's an evidence you're saved. And that really helped clear it up for her. And if there's anyone watching, I hope that helps clear it up for you. Now, of course, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, John goes on here and he even shows us that God himself laid down his life for us. And we should be willing to go that far as well for fellow Christians. Look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That's another reason we know Jesus is God because he laid down his life for us here. It says God did. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how far we ought to go with this. They say that's pretty far. I know it. But John, what he does is he now presses the point home to everyday Christian living. I mean, how often are you called upon to lay down your life for another Christian brother or sister? How often are, are have you been called upon to do that for most of us, it's never. We've never been called to, to jump in the way of a, of a bullet or push a, a brother out of the way and take the blow ourselves. We've never done that. But I'll tell you what, John knows, and he writes in verse 17, 17 to 19. See, this is where we live. This is where we live our lives, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So why does he say little children? Because these are babes in Christ. Babes in Christ are described in verse 17. A babe in Christ who has this world's good and sees his brother has need. His brother! And then shutteth up his bowels of compassion. How dwelleth the love of God in this man? These are little children. These are the babes in Christ. You know, you can be saved for 10 years and still be a babe in Christ. You see? Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So this is the area where we live, folks. We Christians, we have this world's goods. We do. And if we know of a brother or a sister who has need, 
and we shut up our heart against them and we say, be thou warmed and filled. God bless you. Depart quickly. Where's the love of God in that? You know, the world sees through that lie. Well, our love for Christian brothers and sisters needs to be practical. We need to give to their necessities. Uh, Amen. Uh, Amen. Yes. We need to love them practically because we've been blessed with this world's goods. Now this brings us back to the condition of our heart in verse 20. And if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. If we are not giving to the practical necessities of Christian brothers and sisters, then we ought to feel bad. If you, if you don't feel bad, something's wrong. Your conscience is seared. If you're a Christian brother or sister listening to me right now, if you're born again and you're not involved with giving to the practical needs of Christian brothers and sisters, you're not doing that. Your conscience may be seared. You see folks, if we are giving to help out brothers and sisters, then we feel good about it. We feel good. That's the idea here in verse 19. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now we've just come through one of our best mission conferences. We've had five missionaries here. Mostly through the internet, but you know, they've been here. They have needs to get to the mission field. Are we going to shut up our hearts of compassion? Our bowels of compassion? Are we going to close them up and say, no. Are we going to by faith? Give a faith promise and give to help out these brothers and sisters who are giving of their lives, taking the gospel to places that we'll never get to. Does that make sense? It ought to. Cause I think that's exactly what we're talking about. Cause this is where the support of missionaries come in right here. Now look at verse 21. Beloved. If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. That word confidence means great assurance. It means, Ooh, a good feeling, solid ground, great sense of confidence and assurance toward God. Now we can go to God and ask him for things and actually get them. This is why I say the, the condition of our heart and answers to prayer go hand in hand. This is very important. If you want to get your prayers answered, then your heart needs to be right with God. The context of first John chapter three is that we ought to help Christian brothers and sisters with their practical needs. 
And the context of our church this past week has been the faith promise missions conference. I know many of you have put in faith promise cards. I know that. I hope that you put in a good one. If you're getting all your needs looked after, if God has been blessing you and you reach in and you take out a nickel or a dime and say, here, this is for missionaries. May God humble you. May God take away those blessings. May God make you to cry out to him. God has blessed you and blessed me. My wife and I, we give a large portion for missions because we believe in it. And I'll tell you what give and it shall be given unto you. God has looked after us. You know something? If you're saved, you have more at your disposal than what you realize. You can afford to be a little generous. You can afford to do it because you've got God as your backer. He's not going to let you outgive him. He's going to see your faith and your giving. And he's going to bless that back to you. You watch. All you have to do really is talk to anyone in the church who's been doing faith promise for a few years. They'll tell you, oh yes, it works. Some of them get excited and jump up and down. It works. Hallelujah. You can't outgive God. Well, what an interesting passage here. We've got confidence now toward God. And now we can ask things from him and actually get them. Look. Verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, well, what about an outrageous request? Huh? I mean, supposing that I did give in faith promise every week, every month, however you want to do it. And I'm giving faith promise. Does that mean I can go to God and say, all right, God, you help me win the lotto now. Yeah. There's $35 million up for grabs. I want it. Is that what it means? Cause that's a pretty outrageous thing. Isn't it? Isn't that outrageous? But is that what this means here? Verse 22 that you can ask, you can ask God to give you the lotto. Now, wait a minute. Time out. Put the brakes on. Hold on. Look at verse 22. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because. There's two things here. Because. Number one, we keep his commandments. Now, the commandment here in this section is that we love the brethren. We're involved with meeting their needs practically. And we've got brothers and sisters that are needing our help to get them to the mission fields. So that's the commandment here. All right. Number two, it's in verse 22 and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, what are the things pleasing in God's sight? I can answer that in two words. Are you ready? Are you ready now? I can wait. I can answer what is pleasing to God in two words. 
His will. That's what's pleasing to God. You think your will is pleasing in his sight? Nope. You got it all wrong. Your will is what gets you into a mess, gets you into a pickle, gets you into trouble. Now your will, that's not the answer. Your, your ideas, your thought, your will, that, that's not what's pleasing in God's sight. Jesus came and, and said, I delight to do thy will, O God. His will is perfect. What's pleasing in God's eyes? His will. His will. Now I'll even show you this further. All right. Turn the page. Go to chapter number five. Chapter number five. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence. There's that word again, that strong assurance. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever, we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. There you go. You want to get your prayers answered. Well, it starts with the condition of your heart. You know, as we continue to please God, the condition of our heart, then he will help us with our prayers. There's the two, our heart and answers to prayer. Now, let me ask you this. What's the condition of your heart tonight? How is your heart? Is your heart condemning you? If you're watching, have you made a decision that you're not going to help out the missionaries? Is that your decision? Or listen, maybe you're still seeking the Lord's will. You're still praying daily. Lord, I still don't know what you want me to give for faith promise. Well, hurry up. Fast one meal. Even if you have to fast one meal a day, go to God and ask him, Lord, I'm serious. Help me. Show me what your will is. He'll show you. He really will. But if you're the type that says, no way, uh-uh, I'm not getting involved with faith promise. I'm not giving a nickel to missionaries. That's your decision. But I can tell you, you're not going to get many prayers answered. On the authority of 1 John chapter 3, you're not loving the brethren. You're closing up your heart. You say, pastor, that's a pretty rough message. Parts of it are, I know. I, I don't like preaching messages like this, but Hey, sometimes we have to know the truth, right? Yeah. Sometimes the truth kicks a little bit. I know it does to me. What's the condition of your heart tonight? My friend, what is the condition of your heart? How is your heart? Are you supporting missionaries by giving the faith promise? All they want to do is preach the gospel in your, in your stead in your behalf. How is it with your heart? Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Would you bow your head in prayer?